Our scripture passage today comes from the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, you'll notice that it says 21 in your bulletin, but it's actually chapter 2, verses 121. But that's okay, the one printed underneath it is the right one. But if you were wanting to find the verse in your Bible, it is going to be actually Acts 2, verse 1 to 21. Uh, before we read that, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, Lord, we thank you for every good and nourishing gift that you have given us. And today, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that dwells within us by your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the word written in the pages of Holy Scripture. And as we come to read your word today, Lord, we know we cannot understand what is written here, what is revealed to us, unless the same Spirit that inspired these words would also inspire us today, that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Lord, send that Spirit to us now, Lord. Anoint us and guide us, that we may know your perfect will for us. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Listen now to the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all of them were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show them wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The famous atheist Bertrand Russell once declared that the church was obsolete. The church was an obsolete organization and it was not needed anymore on earth because all the things that the church had done could be done better today by civic organizations. He was talking about all the good things the church does, uh, feeding the hungry, helping the poor, setting up schools and, and hospitals, you know, taking care of, of, of orphans and the, and the fatherless and the widows. And he observed, probably quite rightly, that if you want that to do that in the world, there's a lot more efficient ways you can do that. You can set up just different organizations, these, these charitable organizations that the world is full of, or maybe a governmental office, and you could probably help more people quicker than the church could ever do. It was, he declared, a redundant organization. Now, of course, everyone who hears this, at least most of the Christians, will, will object very loudly. Listen, the church is not just a charitable organization. In fact, the church is not just a regular organization. We're, we're, we're a lot more than that. We're not just some group of people that get together. And of course, that begs the question, how is the church different from every other organization out there? I mean, what makes an organization what it is anyway? I mean, any organization you can think of, PETA or the, or the Shriners or the Libertarian Party, what makes them an organization is people coming together under a common idea with a common goal. That's what an organization is, people coming together with a common idea and a common goal. And under that definition, real strict one, well, the church is well, kind of like any other organization. We're coming under the idea of Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to study Jesus, to study what he did, to study what God's done in the world. And we do have a common goal to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread the good news of Jesus, to make more people who are interested in Jesus and what he's done. But I think all of us know that the church is more than just any other organization. We might have a hard time defining what exactly it is about the church that makes us different from every other organization out there, but we know, we know it's different. And if you want to know the difference between the church and every organization, you go back to the day the church was founded. And there we find the church really is different. The church is unlike any organization that has ever existed on the earth and ever will exist. And in fact, we're more than just an organization. And what makes us different is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is what makes us truly and indescribably unique. And it all began today. Today, the day we call the day of Pentecost. It is the birthday of the church, right? Happy birthday to us. We should have cake today, I think. There's your permission. Cake and ice cream, everybody, because it's Pentecost. Your birthday, the birthday of the church. And it all began, it all started... When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. So there it was, the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost is the 50th day after 
the, uh, the Passover celebration. And that's what was important about it to begin with. That's where actually where it gets its name. Penta is the Greek word for 50. So it's 50 days after the Passover. It was an important celebration in Jerusalem. Jews from all over the world had gathered there. And the disciples were there too, and they were celebrating this day of Pentecost. And as they were there in a room together in a house, suddenly this rushing wind comes into the room. And it shakes the walls and the windows and the doors. And it was the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ coming and anointing those disciples. This Holy Spirit filled them up and, and it appeared on top of each one of them like this flame or a tongue of fire. And ever since then, fire has been a symbol of the Holy Spirit, which is why we wear red today. Those of you who did remember to wear red, we wear red because it represents the flame of the fire of the Holy Spirit. But there is no church without the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we're just a group of like-minded people. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just a bunch of people who like Jesus and want to talk about Jesus and want to convince everybody else they should talk about Jesus as well and like Him as much as we do. But that doesn't make us a church. What makes us a church is the Holy Spirit. What makes us more of an organization is that we are different than just a group of people coming together. We are, in fact, the body of Christ. The church is not an organization. The church is the body of Christ. Now, some people take this word body and, and think of it as an imagery. We're, we're like the body of Christ. That's what we're, we're like a body because we together, we're held together by a common idea and a common love of Jesus. But then again, this doesn't make us different from any other organization because the historical society is bound together by their love of history. PETA is bound together by their love of animals. The libertarians are bound together by their hatred of the government. What makes us a body is that we are actually a body. It's not a metaphor. We really are the body of Christ. Now I know we're not his physical body, okay? His physical body that walked on earth was 2,000 years ago and had already ascended into heaven. We're the spiritual body of Christ, but we are actually a body. We're united to him, not metaphorically, we're actually united to him. We're united to each other, not metaphorically, not in images. We're actually united to each other. As my kids like to say, literally. We're literally the body of Christ. And it's a real body. It's a real body because there are real connections between all of us and between us and our Lord. And the way that we are part of each other, the way that we're connected is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what binds us. The Holy Spirit is what connects us. The Holy Spirit is what makes us from an organization into a body. Think of the Holy Spirit as the ligaments and tendons of the body of Christ. Right, that's the connective tissue that we have in our body. That's what the Holy Spirit is, connects us all, connects everything together. Or maybe a better way to look at it is the Holy Spirit is the nerve and the veins of the body of Christ. Right? You've got nerves and veins that go through your whole body and that connect it all together. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's the nerves and the veins 
of the body of Christ. And that's why there's no church without the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, there's no connection. Without the connection, there's no body. Without the body, there's no union between us and Christ, between ourselves and every other believer. It's by the Holy Spirit that we're connected to the head which makes the body, and that is Christ. And by that connection, we're led by Him, and we're taught by Him, and we can enter into a relationship with Him. It's by the Holy Spirit that we're connected to the heart of the church body, and that heart is the love of Christ. And through that love, we are given life, and we're nurtured every single day. By the Holy Spirit, we're connected to the muscle of the body of Christ. And that's how we get our strength to endure and to conquer and to live our lives by faith. None of this happens without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not a church. Because without the Holy Spirit, we're not a body. Now, it's also the Holy Spirit that makes the work of the church possible. All these things that the church wants to do, from the, from the very simple to the very complex, from teaching little children about the Bible to going on foreign missions, all the work we do is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this if you know this, a little trivia. Between Jesus' resurrection and ascension and Pentecost, what did the disciples do? Somebody know what they did? You probably don't. It's a trick question because they did nothing. Nothing. From the time Jesus went to heaven to the day of Pentecost, the disciples really accomplished nothing. They hid. They, they walked around a little bit. They gathered together and they were scared. That's all the disciples did. It was 50 days. 50 days had passed since Jesus' ascension to heaven and the disciples accomplished zero. Okay, I, I feel bad if like half a week goes by and I have nothing to show for it. And they did 50 days. And it's not like they didn't have any information. They had walked with Jesus. They had learned with Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles. They had seen him crucified. They watched him come alive again, walk around and talk with them in a resurrected body. Then they watched him go into heaven and give them a final commission. And 50 days passed, and they did absolutely nothing. They had all the information. They had all the information they needed. There was no reason they couldn't accomplish at least one thing. But they didn't, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the mind and the muscle to do what they needed to be done. Because the Spirit is the muscle of the body of Christ, and unless they were connected to that muscle, they didn't have the power to do the work of the church. So the Holy Spirit connects us to the mind of Christ, and that gives them the knowledge to know what they had to do. And without that Spirit, the disciples could have all the information in the world. And still have no idea what they were supposed to do with it. But with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, it only took, it was an instant. 
It was immediate. The Holy Spirit comes down in a rush of wind and these flames of fire. And all in that one moment, it was one moment, and they went from being students to being true disciples of Jesus. Because in that one moment, they were filled with all the power of Christ. They went out from that moment performing miracles, healing the sick. They even raised the dead. They could talk in every single language known to man. But more importantly, they were filled with the knowledge of Christ. And they knew at that moment exactly what they had to do. They had to go out and complete the work of Jesus. They had to go out and be the church, the body of Christ. If you notice the first thing they did, the first thing that they did when they were filled with the Holy Spirit was proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Acts 22 Right after what we read today, Peter gets up and stands and tells everyone about Jesus. The very first sermon where Peter's preaching the grace of Christ. He's preaching the forgiveness of sin. He's preaching the good news of God that goes out to every man, woman, and child on planet earth. And the Spirit filled everybody that was there. Acts says they made 3,000 converts that day. 3,000 converts. That's a good sermon there. I mean, I'm lucky if I can get one maybe half-hearted confession. But man, to get 3,000 out of one sermon, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. But don't think it was just about making converts. It wasn't about adding numbers. That's what other organizations do. This was something altogether different. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Christ has made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, a plan, listen to this, a plan for the fullness of time, and here's the plan here, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Or some translations say to unite all things in him. But that was the plan of God, to unite all things in him. And that's what makes us different from every other organization. Every organization out there is trying to change legislation or change someone's behavior or to promote an idea that they love. And that's great. We kind of do that too. But if you think that's what the church is all about, you got it all wrong. The ultimate goal of the church is to unite people to the body of Christ. Everything else serves that purpose, to unite people into the body of Christ. Because it's when we are united to the body of Christ that we're given true and abundant life. And there's no true and abundant life unless we're united to Jesus. And when I say true and abundant life, I'm not talking about eternal life. I do mean that. But I'm not talking about just living forever. What I mean is your life doesn't start until you're united to Christ. Your life doesn't begin really in an earnest until you're first united to Christ. That is where your real purpose begins. That is the day that you can start to live. To live fully and to live truly. People often think that the moment of your conversion is the day you're done with your spiritual journey. 
I've accepted Christ. I'm going to get into heaven. I can check that box off. I don't have to mess with this spiritual religious stuff anymore. Maybe show up at Christmas and Easter. Read my Bible every once in a while, but I'm pretty much done with that. Again, if you think that, you've got it all wrong. Because the moment you accept Christ is the moment you're united with Christ. And that's not the end of your journey. That's the beginning. Because that is the day your true life is just beginning. Now, of course, if you're thinking this through, there's an implication that if your true life, your real life doesn't begin until you're united with Christ, all those who have not united themselves to Christ have not even begun to live at all. And if you think that, you're absolutely right. Without Christ, there is no life. Without Christ, you have not really begun your journey of life. You're, you've started another journey, but that's the journey to find life. But you've yet to begin to live the fullness of life. That's why it's so important for us to make believers. That's why it's so important for us to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important to preach and to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. To those who don't know Christ. It's not just so our group gets bigger. It's not so we get more powerful or we get more votes or we get the right people in office or the, or the right legislation. We become more powerful and more rich, more influential. The reason we preach the good news and reach out to unbelievers is so, so that everybody, so others can experience true life. So others can begin to live. Which means the church is the only organization out there whose mission is a mission of true and unconditional love. That is the mission of the church. So my confirmands today, today you have completed your baptismal vows. Today you have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a great day to do it. It's the birthday of the church. And in a lot of ways, today is your birthday as well. Because this is the day you truly begin to live your life. This is not the end of your spiritual journey. This is just the beginning. And it's going to lead you to some amazing places. And through this journey, there's going to be a lot of triumphs. And I'm not going to lie to you, there's going to be some heartaches as well. You'll experience a lot of joy and you will also experience a lot of grief. Through you, God is going to do some wonderful things. You're going to do some good things, things that you'll be very proud of. But you'll also stumble. You will also sin and do some things that you're very ashamed of. Sometimes you're going to feel God is so close that you feel like you can just reach out and touch Him. Other times, He's going to feel so far away you're going to wonder if he's even there at all. But through it all, I want you to remember this. Through it all, you're never alone. You're never alone because God's Spirit is in you. And that Spirit connects all of you together into one body. That Spirit connects all of you to all of us, whether you like it or not. We're family now. 
that spirit also connects you to every believer that's ever lived on this planet Earth. Going all the way back to the first apostles, Peter and Paul, you're connected to them. And even more amazing, that spirit connects you to every believer that ever will live. Children that have yet to be born, you're connected to them too. But more importantly, through that Holy Spirit, you're connected to Jesus. You have a connection to Jesus Christ. You have a connection to God the Father, and today you're a part of his body. Because you're connected to the Holy Spirit for you and for everybody here, that Holy Spirit will always dwell in you. So remember, you're never without help. You're never without strength. And because of the Holy Spirit, you will never be alone. Because today and for all days, the presence and the power of your Savior Jesus Christ dwells in you. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.